The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hi, I'm Matt Lieb. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod Pod Yourself a Gun. A Sopranos podcast where Vince Mancini and I go through every single episode of The Sopranos and and talk talk about about it. it. Uh, Thank you so much again for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We once again ask you to please give us five stars and a review on the Apple Podcast Store, uh, we had some great ones recently. A lot of people commenting a solid B plus, which uh, you know is you guys you 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 get the joke, you love the joke, and you're gonna keep repeating it. And we appreciate you for that. And uh, and I love you all. Don't you love them, Vince? I love them dearly. I don't believe you. Um, <laughs> also, <laughs> also. Uh, once again, patreon.com slash fraudcast. The $8 tier is the pod yourself a shout out tier in which at the end of the episode, we will shout you out and Vince will give you a mafia nickname. Uh, this week, uh, we have a bunch of new patrons, dude. So hell yeah. That's sick. Can't wait to yeah. give some nicknames again. Oh, dude. I'm very excited to watch you flail for once. Yeah. Fucking asshole. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's usually me flailing. That's the whole thing. And now you're gonna do it. So. I'll dance for my supper. Hey, good. Some. You know what? Because I, I got to give my legs a rest. I've been dancing for my supper for fucking nine years. Um. Anyways, uh, today is a very special episode of The Sopranos. We're doing season four, episode six. Everybody hurts, and our guest is from the 420 Day Fiance podcast and Private Parts Unknown. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is Sophia Alexandra. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. So I really appreciate being invited. Well, you know, we just figured, hey, who do we know who watches The Sopranos? And who else has a, lot a podcast with really good pun titles? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we needed both. We needed someone who understands puns in the title and someone who loves podcasting. And we figured uh, who better than someone who writes for television themselves than uh, Sophia uh, Alexandra. So, so tell us, what 
What are your thoughts? Are you a Sopranos super fan or are you a medium fan? Um, I am a Sopranos fan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> I think I was introduced to it the way every woman has. <laughs> the insistence of a man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. who would not take no for an answer. And then mm-hmm. I'm reader, I married him. Um, <laughs> Ooh, nice, <laughs> no, congrats. Uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, my husband uh, definitely made me watch it. And I got to say it was a pretty hard sell because I don't like it when someone's t- like, when there's too much cultural discourse about a thing, mm-hmm. yes. I am loath to watch it at the moment because I'm afraid that like I won't have my own like I won't be able to have my own experience of it because I'll have heard so much already. Right, right. And yeah. so um, when I first watched Sopranos, it was at the very, very end, mm-hmm. um, like so that I would know what the finale was about. Again, at the <laughs> insistence of my husband, yeah. and it didn't make any fucking sense. Why did I fucking <laughs> need to watch any of Sopranos for that fucking finale? No one needed to see any of the Sopranos for that. But I did really enjoy it. And then I watched the show from the beginning and wow, so complex, (laughs) so much um, hotness, uh, Mm -hmm. so much heroin use. Yeah. Just a lot, a lot of everything. Suicidal ideation, men going to therapy. What yeah. doesn't it have? <laughs> well, an ending. But other than that. Yes, other than that, everything. Yeah, it has everything you could want from a show that ends suddenly for it's no really reason. It's really a testament to The Sopranos how good it is that, uh, you know, that I can still love a show that consists of so many therapy scenes and dream sequences, which yeah, are... When it, when- which you hate. I do. Which, yeah, they're like my least favorite things in art. Other than like movies about people being numb with grief. I think that's like my least favorite. Did you not like the scarf scene in this episode? Oh, I, wow. Yeah, that's this... Like someone doesn't like a wound metaphor, I guess. <laughs> you know, honestly, I liked this dream better than most dream sequences in, in most things. Are you not a fucking fan of the ducks? Again, what is your fucking problem? <laughs> Give me the real ducks. I don't want any mind ducks. Yeah, he wants he wants real life flapping ducks. That's, That's right. what he wants. Vince is Vince, uh, and you know we've gone on record about this. Uh, when it comes to all of the things that you love the first time around watching the show, um, Vince has grown to detest all of those things, and <laughs> and now I only. Likes the stuff he didn't notice. I don't which, think I ever liked therapy and and dreams. I'm just gonna say that. I think you did at some point. I think everybody did at some point. I think w- before you start a Sopranos podcast, you go in thinking I'm gonna all I'm gonna do is talk about dream sequences and ducks and therapy, <laughs> and then you, you start it and you're like, you know what? It's all the other shit that I like. So that's I that's, like the therapy. I yeah, I, I love mean, those scenes actually. I, 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 it to me it always depends on the therapy scene. Some of it is just like kind of repeating uh, to the audience what you've kind of already pieced together by watching yeah. the show. It's great uh, when it's like an interpersonal dynamic between Melfi and Tony. It, like most th- oh, therapy yeah. scenes in most things are basically like the screenwriter getting interviewed about why they did, made certain character choices. You know, right? It's right, like right, this is yeah. what I think they were thinking in this scene, and you're like, okay, well, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you just, just need to hear scenes. the screen the screenwriter say the thing 
that they were thinking about for the art. Sure. That's that's why like my favorite part of going to any uh like gallery is the little square next to the painting that explains the painting. Yeah. <laughs> that's always my favorite. Um I also though feel like watching a lot of the therapy scenes um like now. Yeah. I mean probably then too but especially now you're like, "Oh, that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 A lot of that was just like, this is completely outside the boundary of yes. any sort of professional oh, yeah. relationship. Completely. Completely. Yeah. There's there's a few times that we've noticed uh, on this podcast where we've been like, you know, Melfi is getting progressively more unprofessional as she goes along. <laughs> and I never noticed this before. Like, And uh, yeah, this episode actually has a lot of people acting very unprofessionally in their chosen profession. But we'll get into all of that. But first, we must play the theme song. Shell slaps. Pod. 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 Podcast. Pod. 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 Podcast. Mm. Still slaps indeed. Ladies and gentlemen and other, today we are going to be talking about from season four of The Sopranos, episode six. Everybody hurts. Um, Vince, can you break us off a little piece of that synopsis? Tony feels depressed over the negative impact he has on people who don't deserve it, while Carmela tries to set up Furio with a, with a friend. AJ is uncomfortable with his girlfriend's wealth. Artie attempts a new business venture. Yeah, I mean... What am I, a fucking toxic person? What am I, a fucking... <laughs> am I a toxic... Am I exhibiting toxic masculinity over here? <laughs> Him uh, repeatedly saying, what am I, a toxic person, was just like, <laughs> we got it the yeah. first time. You didn't say it. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. You get it's really just... concerned about that when you are in the mafia yeah right you know i you know i sure i've murdered people but i'm worried that i'm exhibiting some toxicity um before we get into that i mean when did this premiere and what was happening during the time that it premiered oh uh, you know i believe what you're describing is that the inability to judge art outside of its cultural context mm-hmm. um and the cultural context for this is that it came out october 20th 2002 and to figure out what was happening right around then we're gonna take a little trip uh to the remember when machine remember remember when is the lowest form of conversation so yeah, October 20th, 2002, a lot of the storylines from the early aughts that we all know and love were really starting to heat up uh, oh, good. around this time. Um, you know, the DC sniper was still on the loose. He struck again the day before. Uh, he has so far killed nine and wounded two. Damn. I remember when that shit was going down because yeah, I was, was in DC then. 
Really? Because I Did was in you college. Live there? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it was yeah. college. I was in college um, at George Washington University, and mm. I remember literally all of us being so fucking scared. And like being like, okay, well, remember to zigzag. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <all right. laughs> yeah, that's going to help. Just zigzag to class. All right. See you there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's awful. Obviously, it's awful. And it's a terrible thing that it happened. And I do feel for all of the victims. But I will say it is very funny that everyone's like go-to solution was just make sure you zigzag yeah. your way you know uh really keep them guessing you what know? you should do is dress like a lady bunny and uh have give them an exploding cigar you know <laughs> all, i mean that's you, all we had yeah. back then it was just yeah we didn't have half thoughts and prayers back then yeah <laughs> it was just zigzagging just zigzagging that's uh, it's a great solution another thing we had we had you know the uh color-coded terror uh warnings warning system oh, yeah. um so that was an orange day mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um this is from the new york times uh possibility of using trucks for terror remains concern. This was like mm. a time when we just like invented terror scenarios and made front page articles about them. Yeah. Uh, after yeah. The- what if they used a uh, truck? Big, big truck. <laughs> after- oh, oh, no, 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 no. What if uh, they use a Camry? <laughs> Everybody drive Camry into people. It could happen. Okay. I, I got another scenario. <laughs> what if. Everybody, you know those those things that the, the handshake buzzer. What if that? But it's filled with actual electricity. I need to know what that voice is. Oh, this is just a guy who real smart. It's just a smart guy voice. All right. Well, you know what? I don't need your judgment. I went to UC Santa Cruz. Okay. Uh, other How things. Dare you? Other things that were happening. You know, we were uh, we were building up to. Uh, to go invade Iraq, which is like the longest, most telegraphed invasion in world history. It's got to be. Um, yeah, we're going to do it. No, we might do it tomorrow. Um, this is from the New York Times. Uh, from its palaces, Iraq's view of the world is a world filled with allies. Uh, as Iraq confronts the possibility of a new war with the United States, its leaders appear to have concluded that they have one decisive advantage that they lacked during the countdown to the Persian Gulf War 12 years ago. This time, they seem convinced, the world is on their side and against the United States. The world has abandoned America. It has become isolated, Saddam Hussein's number two man, Izat Ibrahim, boasted as he announced the result of this week's election. Iraqis, by official reckoning, had re-elected Saddam Hussein to his position of absolute power as president with 100% of the 11.4 million votes cast. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Starting that quote with his number two man says, (laughs) it's like being like, newspaper headline, Sophia most beautiful, says mother. Exactly. (laughs) What do you mean? Yeah, he's your number two. That's literally his only job (laughs) is to just say yes and agree with you. And might I say, he's a very handsome boy, too. (laughs) What a a handsome number two man you have. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, like, and after we invaded, I'm sure we killed his number two man about 15 different times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That definitely. was like the biggest thing. It's like, oh, Al-Qaeda number two. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in lighter news, you know, we had the, uh, we, had, we we go to the post for our lighter 
news. Uh, gotta love the post. Uh, you gotta love this headline. Teutonic turkeys turning terror layer into art. Um, what? The German apartment where Mohammed Atta plotted the September 11th attacks oh, all right. is, <laughs> is being turned into an art happening this week. Oh I'll, my God! They're gentrifying someone's home. Like <laughs> they're gentrifying an Al Qaeda operative's home. I love it. Avant-garde artists from Berlin are planning an exhibit of paintings, no, videos. No, keep it how it is. Okay. <laughs> I remember. I want to remember this city how it was meant to be remembered. <laughs> it's a historical With Al Qaeda operatives on every corner. <laughs> keep New York, New York. Am I right? <laughs> Next Friday and Saturday at the three-room Hamburg apartment in a nondescript building building at Marienstrasse 54. The aim of the show, called Marienstrasse 54 Space Cleaning, is to depict everyday life in the area. The exhibition has divided residents in the Harburg district where the apartment building is located. Many feel it denigrates the memory of the dead to have an art show in a place where atrocities were planned. Can you explain the turkeys part? I guess they're just jerks. I mean, it has, it alliterates, man. Come on. Oh, oh, I see. I see. So they are, they are insulting the Teutonic. They're saying these fucking Teutonic turkeys are turning a terrace layer into art. Exactly. Yeah. I see. I see. This is an outrage. Giving that word, not a meaning that it's ever had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's It's like like a jive turkey, but very blonde and uh, Aryan featured. Yeah. Right. A a Teutonic turkey is uh, just a little Zach Morris turkey going around (laughs) trying to find its screech. Orange County turkey. (laughs) A little Orange County turkey. Well, you know, I I do love all of the uh, terror-related news stories. Obviously, it's yeah. a wonderful time to be alive in America. But what what were some of the well, like uh, the movies, and music that was well happening? before the movies and the music? We have to go to sports. Uh, you know, Barry Bonds oh. hit home run in his first at bat of Game One of the World Series. Oh, that's fun! Here comes another hit, Barry Bonds. The the Giants uh-huh. won. Yeah, you know what? I miss I miss steroids. I'll say it. Baseball was better when they did lots of steroids. Steroid baseball was a really exciting time for baseball. It was, you know, back when America was great. And Barry Bonds should be in the damn Hall of Fame because he was the best at doing steroids. A lot of people did them. Barry Bonds did them better. You got to. Yeah, that's the thing, though. I feel like at a certain point, that just means that you're still the best. Yeah, Yeah. right. It's like everybody was doing them. He was still better than everybody who did them. Yeah, so right. It's like still, mm-hmm. if you, I mean, it's like what if you add the same coefficient to two sides of an equation? I have yeah. never said that before. <laughs> no, yeah, that but is that, that sounded right. That sounds hell right. smart. Yeah, you sound pretty smart, to be honest with you. Do you want to think of ways for terrorists to do terror? You, you sound way smart. I you. don't know if you ever heard of a wagon. <laughs> <laughs> two wheels, I pull it. Oh. <laughs> uh, Top movies uh, in the country, The Ring, Sweet Home Alabama, and uh, Red Dragon. Uh, mm. The top pop song was Dilemma by Nelly, featuring Kelly Rowland. Uh, oh, sick. And the top rock song was Never Again by Nickelback. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Yep. It was just uh, just an amazing time for music and art. Mm, yeah. Um, the Ring The Ring came out. That was the opening weekend for The Ring. The uh, The first scary movie that ever scared the shit out of me. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. 
think I've still ever seen the ring, but I just know it has that girl with the hair, right? Yeah, yeah. it's a girl with the hair, but that's not even the scariest. The scariest part is uh, you see someone who gets scared to death and you see their body and their face is all like, ah, and it's just like, <laughs> I, I couldn't sleep for like two weeks without the lights on. So but that's not a thing that happens. Yeah, but it's scary, though, because you especially if you're like, you know, if you you don't. I mean, I think well, I that's was like how, 17. That's how ghosts have to yeah. kill people. Right. I remember the, I remember when like Scream came out when yeah. I was in high school and that legitimately fucked me up for like, that scared you see I, I was never scared of it because i was just like i don't know any i don't know any killers yeah well no because i'm always alone i was always alone when you're like oh, an only yeah. child with a single mom who's always working yeah and, like you know how to get into your own living room by just sliding the window up you're like oh i'm gonna <laughs> fucking die here <laughs> just, just how it goes and anytime the phone would ring because it was before cell phones i would just be like ah! Yeah. <laughs> well, as I guess as a white male, the only way the only threat I can think of is supernatural. <laughs> so I'm like I'm like, yeah, maybe a ghost could happen. And you're like, no, I'm just thinking like an actual killer comes into that. I'm like, no, I'm not scared of that. I never <laughs> considered it. Oh, well, let's get into this episode. Um so once again, we are uh talking about Everybody Hurts, this is the episode uh, in which, I mean, you know, this is kind of like the big suicide episode. You know, we we talk about suicide a lot. We talk about, uh, you know, depression, um, self-medication, all of that stuff. Um, and written, synopsis written by Michael good. Imperioli and directed by Steve Buscemi. Oh, nice. That's a good that's a good uh, pairing right there. They kind of look alike, good. too. They yeah, do. They're well, both kind of weird looking. They're both no. They like got like eye. They got the buggy prominent eyes. Prominent eye yeah. nose yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, no, no offense to any of our Italian listeners, both, but some of your heroes are ugly as sin. They both look very Italian. It's like <laughs> oh it's like God. that old uh, Theo Vaughn. I didn't say that in a negative way. <laughs> <laughs> who is who are two big nosed Jews up in here being like? Actually, our Italian brothers are real weird looking. No, it's um, you know, yeah, no. that's not what I'm here for. No, it's like it's like that Theo Vaughn joke where he was talking about how he. The only person with Down syndrome he knew was also like an Irish kid, and he just thought like he was really Irish. Like that's kind of like he's like <laughs> he oh, he's like he was extra I Irish? just thought he was like three hundred percent Irish. I like Steve Buscemi and uh, Michael Imperioli just look like they're like you know one hundred and seventy five percent Italian. They look very Italian. They're very Italian people. But you know what, Michael Imperioli, very handsome man. Um, I would know. say he's like. Uh, I mean, I'm also not... young. Steve Buscemi was hot. Sure. Young Steve Buscemi did have a thing. I think he had like yeah. like a lot of actors. They're kind of like ugly hot, like Will Willem Dafoe kind of thing. You know, where they're mm. like so odd looking. No, that I they're... think that's a different category. That's sure. the man crag factor. Yeah, that's like your mm. Clint Eastwood's your. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Man crag face. It's yeah. Like a very specific craggy look that yeah. lets everybody know that like that you fuck you, your dick is fucking hard as hell. Yeah. 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 With yeah maybe like knots dick. on it like a Joshua tree. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Burled ass dick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but uh so the episode is called everybody hurts um and that synopsis was fine but i have my own synopsis um it's the only big... episode named after an rem song i know and what a better way to get into that than to play the bada b stories 
Wish you would ask me for a loan, my friend. You could give cash for all mignette to a shady Frenchman. And if you don't ask me, I will say again, am I a toxic person? Did you, uh, that was, that was just third eye blind. Did you have to find a drum set for that? <laughs> I, what, you think I did the track myself? <laughs> I don't know. It sounded fairly homemade. It did. It definitely did. No, I just that looked was up fucking third. amazing, okay? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I looked up uh, third eye blind karaoke and, um, and that was the one I found. And I will admit, I was like, the drums seem poorly <laughs> it, done. It, they seem very homemade. <laughs> It's yeah. like when I'm, but it's it's like it gives it character. It's like when I make tortillas at home and they're not quite round. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was. The Aren't you not- a precious baby boy? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyways, so uh, I don't know why I thought the uh, misdirection of not playing REM was funny in my head, but uh, I take it back. I mean, Third Eye Blind is always very fertile ground for parody. So yeah. That was pretty much covering uh, all of the Bada B stories. You know, we've got uh, we've got a lot of suicide. We've got a lot of wanksterism. Uh, this is an mostly, episode. Yeah, it's mostly Tony worrying that he's a toxic person and mm-hmm. AJ not realizing that his girlfriend is slumming by dating him. It's yeah. one of the most depressing and pathetic. Like, it's a parade of, like, sad, pathetic tragedy. Yeah. And then some really killer, hilarious lines. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, it's yes, actually, for sure. I mean, it's actually so brutal that it, like, like almost... It's a great episode, yeah. actually. It, like, oh, yeah. almost made me feel bad for AJ at certain points in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Which is impressive. It is. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, like, she Our... bought a $3,000 t- statue, man. I'm woke now, okay, dude? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This fucking car service trips really fucking woken me. Oh, okay? yeah. I so- still want to go fuck at my sisters, but <laughs> will I be thinking about something else during it? No. Yeah. no I will no. be thinking about your pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so it opens, uh, you know, Chrissy and Aid are doing heroin, and uh, Chrissy gets yeah. a call from Tony that he's got to meet him in the Webendorfer's parking lot. And... Um, mm-hmm. It just made me think about you, Matt. Like, how how easy is it to snap yourself out of a nod uh, when you have to go and do something? 
Um, it's incredibly difficult, but also, um, it is, what's this, this again, Sopranos is doing a great job having, um, relatable heroin moments. Uh Um, I mean, they, they did do a little bit of the, uh, kind of the cliche thing where he's like looking in a mirror and shit like that, (laughs) which is like, come on. No, he's he's like, what's inside my eye? Am I a cyborg? Who have I become? It's just like, that's not what you No, I've never seen a junkie ever do that. No, no. It's not something that, you know, if you're someone who stares in the mirror regularly, maybe then that's a thing. But no, you would definitely not be doing that. But what you would be doing is doing exactly what they were doing in the opening scene, which is being high on heroin and just watching the History Channel. That is absolutely (laughs) right. Back when I was using, I used to do this thing where I would go find like a cafe somewhere um and then i would go do drugs in the bathroom and then i would sit um uh, like outdoor patio and just open a book and fall asleep (laughs) and it would it would be a thing where i would just be like i'm learning but you're you're just you're like just because i'm a junkie doesn't mean i can't be a useful smart and foreign member of society (laughs) and then you just immediately (laughs) you're immediately nodding out did you ever do like the movie thing where you pass out on the public bathroom floor and someone like bumps into you with the door or anything like that no that's never happened to me uh but you know that because again that's like the movie thing i'm sure that has happened but not it doesn't happen as often as someone just being in their apartment on heroin watching the history channel or going to work and that's another thing he does is so he shows up at the parking lot to meet tony and he's just trying to like um (laughs) snap himself out of nodding out and he does, I have to say, Michael Imperioli does a great job being on heroin on the show as like an acting challenge mm-hmm. because he's not doing like the junkie lean. He's not trying to like do any of the tropes. He's just, um, he's he's doing the thing where you're just speaking loudly whenever it's your turn to speak in hopes <laughs> that loud speaking will keep you awake. Right. Yeah, and and I thought that was like a brilliant Basically, touch, trying to fake being awake or, and alert at all times. Yeah, yeah, of course I'm awake. Awake people yell. <laughs> it's like it was, it was and perfect. He's, he's it's like he's trying to yes and Tony, but he yeah. clearly hasn't like under he hasn't understood and taken and synthesized all the things that he's just heard. So he just like no, no, he's concentrating really hard on yelling his next sentence and like he's only responding to the very last thing that he just said and and it's it's kind of it's just it's a brilliant job in that scene you know he uh he's like well i have a clip over the next couple of years more and more i'm gonna be giving my orders through you you're gonna take this family into the 21st century we're already in the 21st century though T. Whatever you say, T, I'd follow you into the gates of hell. That's what I was going to say to you. What you did for me, that fuck who killed my father. I'll never forget that. I only hope I'm worthy. Why wouldn't you be worthy? Just saying. (laughs) Hey, not for nothing, T. It's already the 21st century. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to, you know, speak out of turn here, but... uh, that already happened like a year ago. So uh, <laughs> the fuck you talking about? Yeah. I, I want to put on my symbolism hat for a minute. Oh, please Ooh. do. Which I know. I'm intrigued um, and scared. As a, a fan hat. of dreams and <laughs> and therapy on the show, I'm sure, Vince, you're really excited about this. Uh-huh. Mm. But um, the 
the stuff that Chris um, and Adriana are watching on TV, that history documentary about pyramids. Yeah. Uh, it talks about the the last thing kind of that's the big line of it is they go, the biggest feat of the pyramids isn't the actual like our engineering feat. It's the feat of cooperation. Um, right, <laughs> sure. and, and organization, <laughs> yeah, and I just and it shows like all those guys like uniting together and like padding that pyramid, <laughs> yeah, and then it shows what an absolute dipshit Chris is, <laughs> yeah, the and weak link in the chain, yeah. Tony's like, you know, like we're building this together, it's an empire, and he's yeah. like completely fucking high, and it's <laughs> yeah. just, I think, a really nice way to be like. Yeah, this is never going to be anything. You can't yeah. build an empire on shit. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. never going to happen for you, you guys. You can't build it uh, on a on a foundation of junkies. Yeah. No. Uh, I, it's also, we've pointed this out before, but like that, that this is another Michael Imperioli written episode. And he always writes Christopher as dumber than any of the other uh, Sopranos yes. writers. Yeah, yeah. He, he definitely, um, which I think means that he is the only one who uh actually gets chris he's the only writer uh in the sopranos writers room that actually understands why chris is a great character because yeah he only writes him as a dummy and a fuck up <laughs> and uh a rather than like you know there were attempts in previous episodes and previous seasons to write him as yeah he's a fuck up but he's like I don't know. He's, he's the young, cool. yeah. He's the young, cool one who's like into Hollywood and like semi more woke than you know Tony or Polly. But right, um, but yeah. Well, it, I think to me they wrote him like the movie Crash, you know, where it's like <laughs> it's a it's a it's a thing that you think is smart when you're stupid, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. and they've written Chris the same way, yes. where he's like, this is a guy. Who mm -hmm. thinks he's smart? Right. And in that exactly like <laughs> demonstrates how fucking stupid he is. Yeah. Well, he, yes. they, they pulled he the imagines old, uh... himself to be this intellectual. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. no, this is what scripts are and this is reading. Right. And he doesn't understand <laughs> yeah. any of it. Well, that's he's more of a dilettante. Watching... Yeah. He's that watching the history than... channel. They Tom because... yeah. they Tom so Friedman his ass. They did. <laughs> I understand the Middle East because I took a taxi ride one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and the other great thing about this scene is that Tony's big idea for how to run a successful business is to trust his own family more, which, like, historically is the absolute worst way to run anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know what? The one thing they're not is they're not blood. Yeah. And like part of me was. <laughs> they didn't get to that. where like, you're the only one who didn't get here because of merit. So obviously right. I got to promote <laughs> yeah, you. Exactly. So clearly you're the correct choice. No, I love it. He's like, yeah, you know, blood matters more. And he's just like, my blood's filled with heroin. <laughs> yeah. And that's also why monarchies work out so fucking great. Yeah. 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 No monarchy has ever gone downhill because of. Uh, because of the nepotism massive inbreeding, involved. because mm -hmm, that's how mm -hmm. badly you wanted your blood yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to fucking keep you, your organization tight, <laughs> keep the organization pure. Um, so yeah, so, yeah. So then you know we move into the other. I guess the next storyline is Tony finding out that Gloria Trillo is is dead now. 
And yeah, that is, I mean, which, that's a, yeah. that's kind of a main storyline. I was thinking, you know, what about AJ? Yeah. I think AJ has a perfect little side story going well, on. Well, there's the, yeah, those are the two main ones. So yeah, AJ. There's so many funny things about that. A, AJ I, has gone to him. like the rich school, which I think is like the worst thing that you can do for any, everybody's yes. obsessed with getting their kid into like a good school. But to me, like the scariest thing is is having my kid go to a, a school with a bunch of kids that are richer than he is and they all turn mm-hmm. into just a bunch of little uh elitist pieces of shit yeah. and uh and it's it, it, it like the, the AJ storyline's so great cuz there's an arc where it's like painful at first because he's turned into a rich shithead and then it's mm-hmm. even more painful when you identify him re- with him realizing that uh what he thinks what he's proud of is uh, very pathetic compared to all of his actually rich friends. Yeah, it's sad because, uh, you know, he's he is faking it in multiple different ways in this episode. Like the one way he's faking it is that he is he is happy to just openly talk about uh, the mafia with outsiders Um because it might get him pussy which is just like it's it's uh it's exactly what you would expect like a a a middle school new metal kid to do you know or i guess he's in high school now like he's he's like no respect for the idea that this whole thing is supposed to be you know hush hush it's all built on silence and never talking about the mafia and then like the very next generation is like yes i will sell out my entire family for one crumb of pussy yeah, I, yeah. Just and please. also, yeah. can we talk about how he takes advice on getting pussy from fucking bowl cut? <laughs> Paul yes, Dano, dude, that's fucking Paul Dano. Yeah, the the amazing actor Paul Dano. He's incredible, but yes. no one who looks like that should ever give you advice <laughs> right. about anything. It's, it's what makes it so perfect. It's because so funny. And he's just he, like, yeah, uh-huh. Tell me more about that. She's Yeah, uh, she's ready. She's fucking ready. It's Paul Dano has a small but mighty cameo in this. And of course, this is Paul Dano before he became fucking Paul Dano, before he was in yeah. There Will Be Blood, you know before he was in... You know yeah. what's weird about this is that uh, like Paul Dano was really good in this. And I remember thinking that after Little Miss Sunshine that Paul Dano was like one of the worst actors in the world because like in really? Little Miss in Little Miss Sunshine he does like the Wiley Wiggins in Days and Confused thing where it's like okay. his entire like acting move in that is just to be like sullen and look away all the time mm-hmm. and uh, now I realize that uh, the Little Miss Sunshine just didn't know how to direct Paul Dano I guess because he Maybe. was like a good I... actor before and then he's a great actor in like There Will Be Blood but then in that movie he's just terrible I haven't rewatched that since I yeah, saw it in theaters, I, I would so need I don't to really re- remember. Yeah, I would need to rewatch it to see him being bad in it. I remember not being uh, him being in it, but not being impressed by his performance. But yeah, right. No. Well, I remember Paul, Paul, watching There yeah. Will Be Blood and thinking, "Holy shit, Paul Dano can actually act!" I thought this guy oh, was incredible. Yeah. He's incredible. Um, but uh, I do have a clip of Paul Dano uh, explaining to AJ how to get the pussy. The thing is to keep knocking on the door without going in right away. You gotta poke the perimeter and tap on the gate until she's out of her fucking mind and begging. Then you own that shit. That pussy's yours. I think she's ready. We shall know forsooth. (laughs) We we shall know forsooth. Oh my god, the brilliance of that line. Me thinks thou hast that nerd. 
You guys should make merch that says that. <laughs> we shall Honestly, know forsooth. We yeah. shall know forsooth. I would buy forsooth. a shirt that said that. <laughs> I absolutely agree. That shit is... It's just so goddamn brilliant because that, that fucking nerd virgin telling him how to get the pussy ready <laughs> like <laughs> is just it's just beautiful. But um, the, the AJ storyline opens up with him um, drinking and smoking cigarettes with his friend uh, with his friends, uh, including Paul Dano and his girlfriend, um, his new girlfriend, Devin. And, I'm sorry, and a- Devin Pillsbury. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> Quite amazing. That is definitely He's- like the kind of wasp name that Aguido would make up. Yeah, it's yeah. also really fucked up to me that they didn't actually make her an heir to the Pillsbury fortune. It was right, right yeah. fucking there. You told yeah. me she was insanely rich. That's the first thing I thought. I was like, she's that Pillsbury. Yeah, she's and then they were like, be. oh, her dad's a financial guy. Why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. Let her be the Pillsbury dough girl. What's your <laughs> yeah. problem? And by the way, uh, that actress's name, which is almost as good of a wasp name, is uh, I, feel, I feel like it's more realistic to the character. Her real name is Jessica Dunphy. Which uh, oh yeah, yeah 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 that's 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 definitely more a more realistic uh, wait waspy I know name. a girl named that oh oh yeah Jessica Dunphy maybe she's your friend Who is that <laughs> okay you know what it's that's not Devin <laughs> but uh, I I have a clip of them sitting around uh, and uh, talking um, to AJ about his family it's true dude they're gonna start a draft there's no fucking way I'm going to the army. Uh oh! You know what that sound means? That sound means that uh, they just did an offhanded reference to 9/11 uh, via talking about the draft and the army, and you you, you catch my drift. Yeah, which yeah, means yeah. it is time for our uh, segment, "Who Did 9/11?" In which I ask our guest, "Who did 9/11?" So, Sophia Alexandra, who did 9/11? Okay. Did someone tell you? <laughs> What? What's that? I'm just saying, did someone tell you something? It just is like a weird thing to bring up out of nowhere. Did someone say something to you about (laughs) my involvement? No, this is just a random question. Did someone fucking tell you something? (laughs) I know know nothing. Who fucking was it? I I literally know nothing. Who was it? Can can we get the producer back, Brent? (laughs) (laughs) Who fucking said something? Nobody Did said I? nobody said nothing. It just Brent. It's, par- it's a it's part of a, a Brent, can you assure her real quick that uh nobody said anything? I sir I certainly did not say anything. I apologize for Matt. I yeah. I don't know what he's on, but I No I got nobody said you can better kiss your kids a final time than I Brent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh in conclusion, okay, can we move on? that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, in conclusion, kind of sounds like Sophia did 9-11. So, um, so back to this scene. Um, I actually, I have the, I have the that, full. That gave, that was like so painfully um, hitting close to home for my high school days, where there's like mm-hmm. two. Uh, drunk dumbasses uh, trying to wrestle each other, which would have been me, and then like the one friend who might get laid that night, and uh, and everybody like in the same room for some reason. Yeah, no, that was my <laughs> that that was that was pretty close to my high school experience. I think specifically, um, like there was a time in ninth grade 
where it was right before I started like smoking weed with friends. So instead of weed, people were doing cigarettes Mm -hmm. because they were like, well, we got to smoke something and I don't know where to get weed. So the, the idea, I just love watching Paul Dano pull out a cigarette and smoke it as if he's a smoker. Yeah. It, it, it just <laughs> oh. rang very, very true to me. That's a great memory for me because I was like the first one of my friends. I, I had the first birthday among my like circle of friends. So on midnight of my 18th birthday, we went, you know, to like the, the little liquor store to buy cigarettes and the, uh, the clerk would not sell cigarettes to me after midnight on my uh birthday because in her mind i wasn't 18 yet and and i we were trying to convince her like no no it's after midnight that means it's uh the day it's a new day yeah it's a new day and she's like well look I don't know. I don't know about that. My shift starts at seven. Uh, like love, your birthday is based on when her shift. Yeah, starts. like her idea of when the date changes was like, look, my shift doesn't start until this, and that's when the new day begins She's for like, me. I'm sorry, I haven't worked here for 18 years, so <laughs> yeah. you actually cannot buy cigarettes. Here. Technically, you are about mm, four weeks old. I've been here for four <laughs> yeah. weeks. Until I see you here consistently for 18 years. Oh, that's amazing. We were so just dumbfounded by her logic. We were like, are we being punked? What's happening right now? <laughs> so uh, so the boys are sitting around. They're talking about, you know, like him, uh, you know, your father's going to put a horse's head in, in uh, a senator's bed to keep you out of the draft. And then they're like, they're bringing up all this like Godfather stuff. And he's just kind of playing along because he's like, he, he the, the only thing he knows about the life is kind of based on things he has heard other people say around him. Like he's like, oh, it doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah. You know, talking only, about no one's going <laughs> to shoot up my home. The only thing he knows about the life is that it gives him social status in this weird yes. way. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and he, he, he someone mentions obviously that he uh, his father owns a strip club, and they decide to like drive down to it, but they end up going uh, to the pork store because he didn't remember he remembered uh, an address vaguely, and he thought it might be the Bing, but instead it is uh, Satrials, and just Ag- like again, perfect high school logic where. Um, you're like, well, we're not going to get into the strip club, but we could drive down there and watch people watch come in and out. Go in and out. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the strippers are coming out naked, you know, yeah. the way that you do when you leave work and go to work. You, just <laughs> yeah, are you, know, how stri- you know how strippers <laughs> are just always naked? You know, that's the thing about strippers, you know, whether they're in the club, on a bus, you know. That's how they get the job. That's how they get the job. They walk around and someone goes, you should be a stripper. Yeah. Um, You're naked all the time. This should work out for you. But you can see the uh, embarrassment, obviously, on, on, you know. AJ's face uh, when you know they get down there. It's a pork store, and the guy, the guy is like, "Oh, is this a gay strip club?" <laughs> Which is like, this is great. And they're like, "No, it's a front, like Jenko olive oil." And then he goes, "Yeah, like Jenko." He's got no idea. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. He just is. He's agreeing. Yeah, you think they make olive oil, but actually they make pants. They make beautiful <laughs> jeans. Um, so we get to a scene in which uh, AJ and Devin are making out, and uh, and it, to it's the, one of my f- to the sweet strains of D'Angelo. 
I was just yeah. going to say that to me was such a perfect detail. Yes. Yes, it was. How does it feel? That's, I mean, that's Ooh, great. Honey. Cause like, I, like I got to give them respect for that. Cause if that was high school me, I would have been playing like some sort of smooth ska band and thinking it was sexy. <laughs> I Look, would have I just lost played my corn. virginity to the Vandals. Oh hell yeah! Oh wow! Which song? Which album? Ape drape. No one oh. wanted. <laughs> no one wanted that. <laughs> my God, did we date in high school? <laughs> this was in college. Oh, okay. I was seventeen. It was my freshman year, and boy, mm. Mm. good times. Good times. Hitler bad. I, Vandals uh... good. Josh Free still the best drummer out there. I lost my virginity to um, deafening silence. (laughs) I lost mine to whale sounds. Really? Yeah. The whale? Yeah. She had a a tape of 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 like you fucked you fucked Justin Halpern's mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just catching strays. Anyways, um, yeah. No. So they're playing D'Angelo, and the greatest thing ever is Carmela shows up. And ask him to turn down the music, and AJ's got a boner, and he's he's doing the boner walk, which is yeah. um, a beautiful little detail. Maybe that's you know, why uh, yeah. Janko pants Love were invented was to was to hide High boners. boners. Interesting. I never actually considered that. You can that's smuggle actually... a lot of boners in Janko. It makes You're... sense because back then, also mm. everybody wore boxers. Mm. Yeah, so you couldn't even like properly tuck your boner up if you needed to. Yeah, yeah. no, it was. You just it was had a... to fucking hide it in the full in the fabric, you know. Otherwise, <laughs> it was a nightmare. God, boners came so easily back then. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? It's just like. You know, I mean, I still get them, but it's just like back then I was afraid of them. Yeah. They would just show up. And if, you just like, th- no! if you just thought about not having a boner, you would get a boner. You would get a boner thinking about your dick. <laughs> you think about your own dick and get a boner. God, life was so cool. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so 
he does a boner dance. She, they're looking for a place to, you know, to fuck, which is, or that's what it seemed like. They were looking for a place to fuck. Yeah. They never actually say have sex. Um, well, because it's, uh, yeah, that's just, AJ doesn't, wouldn't ask that because he's hopeful that it might happen. And if you, if you mention it, the possibility just dissip- that's, dissipates. That's what I was thinking too. And I was thinking like, he's still a virgin at this point is what I'm thinking. And I oh, also yeah. think he does not know whether or not she wants to have sex. He assumes she wants to have sex, but I don't think Devin's about to have sex with this guy. Um, I love the logic that- there that the, like the plan to find an empty room to have sex in is to go to your sister's college dorm room. That is the yes. most insane plan uh, that only like a kid in well, Janko pants would come up with. Yeah, because it's like you only know like not that many people. You know right, what I mean? Right. So you're yeah. like, okay, is it your house? No. Is it my house? No. Yeah. Okay. Do any of our friends have a house? No. Yeah. Okay. The only other person I know is my sister. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's I like, bet I better go there. Yeah, you run down the list and you go like, I gotta, I gotta fuck on my sister's bed. So th- they go all the way. <laughs> She'll over. be cool with it. Yeah, I love the logic there. Just be like, she thought they were going to visit just to like, and that's I right. love it because in that scene she's like, says. Uh, you know, uh, actually, I have I have a clip of that as well. Which which clip is that? AJ Wanna Smash is the name of the. Are clip. you sure this is it? Brook Avenue and 161st Street, South Bronx. Don't leave, okay? She <laughs> okay? This is my little brother. I'm Meadow, lightness man sister. I'm Devin. Hi. Can I talk to you? I need to use your room. What for? You know. You've got to be kidding. Anthony, no. Just for a little while. Why not? I don't even want to think about it. It's my bed. How am I going to go in there after? We'll just stay on the coverlet. No. We came all the way over here. I thought you wanted to go into the city. There's all this stuff going on. I thought we'd go to the alphabets. A friend of my sister's reading. She's a novelist. That's right. <sighs> Probably just going to cruise. Is the tree up at Rockefeller Center yet? Can I just say... <laughs> She literally suggests the opposite of sex. She's <laughs> yeah. like, no, I thought we were going to go to a novelist reading tonight. <laughs> like, like if there's one thing that Meadow knows how to do successfully, it's say the exact opposite thing of what AJ wants. Um, so one thing leads to another. They don't fuck. Uh, and... Uh, AJ and Devin are talking about how rich they are and how <laughs> I love it. in the scene in which they're talking about how rich they are. They are also dunking on their friend who's poor. Yeah. His dad's like, a math teacher. <laughs> but also, yeah, the idea of what they think is really poor is also like so hilarious to me. Yeah. But wait, wait before we move on, I just really quickly wanted to say that um, I think that it's crazy that even Meadow thought that her brother would be interested in any form of reading. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> like whether it would be to him or like, well, they're perfect. Have you yeah. met him? They're perfect siblings. Cause they can't imagine the thought process of anyone but themselves. So they yes. just immediately just assume like whatever they're thinking is the, how other people think. Yeah. Like, AJ is obviously being a dick himself in in just being like, I want to use your room to fuck and thinking that's an okay thing to say. (laughs) But also Meadow being like, 
this is the center of culture in America, and you <laughs> yeah. want to use it for sex instead of reading? And it's like, fuck <laughs> you, you fucking nerd. And then he and says then he he's... wants to go to Rockefeller Center, and she's like equally horrified. Yeah, she's horrified that he he wants to see the tree at Rockefeller Center, which is like, fuck you. That's a nice tree if you're from New Jersey. That's the nicest tree. And it's great also, that- Also, it's yeah. big. I'm sorry. It's a right, big yeah. tree. Really Who doesn't want to see a big tree? <laughs> it's great the that idea he's- that she's yeah. scoffing at a tree. It's like, fuck off, Meadow. How big is that novel that that bitch is going to read? <laughs> yeah. I bet it's not as big as the tree. I bet it's regular ass size, huh? Yeah. I bet they had to kill a fucking Rockefeller Center tree just to make it. Fuck that shit. And then the idea that that he's lived within driving distance of New York City like his entire life and he gets there and knows absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, that's real. That's the realest shit ever. I love that. It's like uh, when I went to UC Santa Cruz and fucking everyone else had to tell me about all the cool stuff in LA. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know what pink's hot dogs are but there's a train tracks near my house where you can drink yeah like, yeah <laughs> like that's the shit that i fucking had to tell uh, that's uh um there's an amc movie theater in century city that um <laughs> yeah like, yeah Anyways. and it was very real just watching like aj's progression because it reminded me of going to college where like growing up in Reedley, I had an idea of what I thought like a rich person was like. And then I didn't realize like, oh no, that's like what, like everyone in Reedley is completely poor compared to every, every person that I went to college with. And like our yeah, idea, yeah. our idea of what constituted a rich person was like sad and pathetic uh, compared to mm-hmm. whatever they did. Yeah. 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 And you know, I think AJ learns that he's not privileged. And I think probably, uh, I don't know. It's in a very relatable way in which like he just goes to a bigger house and realizes that. Yeah. And then there's also like they're talking about the Godfather and he his idea of a mob boss is like the main boss. And his dad is like the boss of northern New Jersey. Like he is some like provincial compared to like the real uh, mafia. And he has not realized this this entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it's incredibly embarrassing for him. Especially given the fact that, you know, he had this whole ride uh, in, you know, the fucking in Devin's driver's car. Um, and then they go and, to her house and yeah. he he's like, ah, she's not even that rich. Look at this shitty house. Not realizing that that. Oh, no, that's just the guard house. Which is crazy. That to shit let was them wild. into the giant ass fucking property <laughs> situation that was just. And watching him, I mean, I also, I feel like as big a miss as them saying, having Meadow being like, do you want to go listen to the novelist is when they had AJ recognize Picasso's. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I was like, okay, all right. There's a lot of wishful thinking going on here. Yeah, and yeah, that, I, I, and I then thought he's, the he's, same thing too. Yeah, and then he's like so insecure that he can't capitalize on the fact that she's slumming with him. Like he yeah. could have totally gone with that. Like he never, like he didn't quite realize that she was slumming and he could have played that to the hilt, but he was too busy uh, feeling insecure. Like he was, 
like he was a mob boss. He right. was he was he like when she was kissing him saying, "Ooh, I'm some gangster guy's girlfriend." Like he still saw them as like not even as equals. He was like, "Yeah, we're both rich, but I'm also gangster." And yeah. now he's just, she's he's just like he's thinking he, she he's realizing that she's slumming and that she is, you know, dating someone way beneath her. I have and a it, different yeah. take on it. Oh. I think to me, I feel like um, AJ's, there's like, to me, there's two layers. Like one is that um, AJ's whole thing is he doesn't have an identity. Yeah. And that is a thing that is his whole journey throughout the entire series. Totally. He just doesn't have an identity and he tries to find one constantly and he just can't. And it's like pretty pathetic to watch him struggle. And he doesn't yeah. believe in himself and his parents didn't give him any tools to like learn uh-huh. to find out who he is. Right. Yeah. So he's just kind of like fucked altogether. He's never even been in a place where he had to try hard because he's kind of a mediocre kid. And that's mm-hmm. fine. That's you can have mediocre abilities in a billion things and then find out something you're great at. Right. That's exactly. how life works. Exactly. You're mostly mediocre at most things and just great at a couple or one. Right. Or you end so, up just liking something and you go, oh, I could do this. But he's never Yeah, and by really great, I guess, I mean, thing. just even the joy. Like yeah. any kind of pleasure, any kind of a sense of like goodness. He's never found that. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, with this whole like, playing the dangerous kid in this rich school he was like oh i do have an identity here i'm like someone special my special thing is this thing even if i don't know that much about it right it's like but that sets me apart right and i think when he realized oh she's rich too it's like well now i'm uncomfortable Uh, i'm not special and then he finds out she's even richer than him so now in his mind, she's the special one. And right. he's the ordinary one. Yeah. And I think what that mm. leads me to is my second point, which is power. Mm. And I think what's really sad and kind of like awful about him as a person uh-huh. is that he can only really be in relationships with women when he feels like he has power over right. them. Yeah, he's mm. blind to what he's lucked into in this situation because he doesn't have the power anymore. Yeah. And yeah, and he just and, doesn't yeah. he's not able to find I bet you he couldn't get hard after that. Yeah. Like, I think that's what that boner thing was too in the beginning. Now, is, now oh, he's walking I'm around dangerous. And now he's unimpeded. like, Ugh, I don't yeah. wanna fuck you because like it was only fun and cool for me when I had the power. Yeah. yeah. And like now You've sucked that all the blood out of my boner. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I got no, sad it's interesting. dick now. I think you're right. I, I in this uh, this episode, he starts off with two um, not non earned identities. You know, he has he starts off with two identities that were gifted to him uh, by his family. One being the mafia, two being money, and he ends with neither because he realizes he doesn't have as much money as he thought he did, com- at least compared to Devin. And it ends with them saying, uh, hey, how come your dad doesn't have all that stuff? And he's like, I don't know. So he like, he's yeah. like, also, my dad is part of the trash mafia, I guess, because, uh, you know. Like he's, literally, because he's in waste management. He's literally in waste management. But uh, yeah, that, I think that's a, a, an excellent and astute point, which is a rare thing that we have on this podcast. So <laughs> I'm going to edit it out. And uh, how dare you? That's fair. No. That's fair. No, and like that, Meadow is such point. the opposite always of him because yeah. she's so driven, 
you yeah. know? So in yeah. addition to being like smarter or whatever, she also has all this ambition and drive. Mm -hmm, she might mm -hmm. be shitty like Tony, right. but she's also driven like Tony. Yeah. She's got, she's got some more, she's more motivated. She shares some of the, I guess, manipulation traits of the, in the Soprano genes, but she's definitely, she's not, she's not a floating upper middle class kid the way AJ is kind of like this floating fail son who doesn't know what he wants or who he is um but yeah that's his storyline now let's get into the main stuff with uh Tony and Artie so this is the episode Ugh, heartbreaker <gasps> it's a heartbreaking episode to watch for Artie Bucco Artie Bucco starts off this episode Talking to a French man who um, <laughs> he is who's convincing him to invest in Armagnac, which is um, is a type of alcohol that I had never heard of until I watched this particular episode of The Sopranos. So the first time we were watching this, me and my mm -hmm. husband and I said to him, um, what the fuck is Armagnac? I was yeah. like, I've never heard of it. He's like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like yeah. every... Every European country has their own weird digestif, and they're all basically the same, but they each have like a different one. You mm -hmm. know, like the Italians have like Fernet Branca, and the Germans have like Unterberg, and there's the Hungarians have Svak. It's all like everybody has like a weird shot of gross herbaceous things. Yeah. Yeah. And they all think it's special, even though it's basically the same. Yeah. I mean, it sounds nasty, whatever it is. And, uh, but, you know, the French man is doing a good job of explaining it to him. And you see that um, Artie is clearly being manipulated um, by, uh, what's her name? Elote? Elodie. That can't be right. Which is great because, yeah. you know, uh, you can tell that Artie has drank, drunk the Kool-Aid because he calls her Elodie. And then uh, Charmaine immediately comes in and bursts the bubble and is like, Elodie, where's your dang tables? Go, go <laughs> yeah. clean off the dishes. Yeah. Table five needs cleaning, Elodie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and he every time he mentions the Frenchman, he goes, Jean Philippe. Like, like <laughs> yeah. he makes sure to do it with a French accent. Yeah, he puts some stank on it. And he we puts like, some stank okay. on it. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he thinks like, ooh, French. Those are the refined people. Not thinking at all that this French man is about to rip him off. So Artie is also doing uh, wankster shit, just mm -hmm. like AJ. He thinks because of his... Uh, kind of uh, proximity to the mafia that he somehow has the same kind of toughness. And to this Frenchman, he's going to be a scary guy. And he has so, such strong Milhouse's dad energy. Remember when Milhouse's oh dad God. gets divorced? Like Artie is, just has like he the most... into the divorced dad apartments. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's exactly... Oh my God. And, and it's like his, his fucking Milhouse's dad vibe is flourishing in this episode. He's got a fucking... Also he's got combined the, with old Gil. Yeah, 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 yeah. strong yeah, old Gil energy. He's definitely like, oh, I gotta get that fifty grand. My my old daughter needs Gil's orthodontist. Never gonna be nobody. Oh, old Gil lost his earring. <laughs> he, yeah. he calls it orthodenture, also, which is like a good oh, little yeah. detail. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, so yeah, he's like, you know, and, and also, and, by the way, mm -hmm. Jean Philippe, yeah, who is introduced is. Elodie's brother is yeah. for sure fucking her. 100%. And it is so funny 100%. that at no point Artie's like, wait a minute, are you 
fucking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's so clear. Yeah, this guy's like 40 years older than her. And you're like, oh, this is my brother. And it's like, this is not your brother. This is for sure someone you're fucking. But Artie can't see it because Artie is like enamored with uh, uh, LOD. And like, you know, she's doing a great job of manipulating him. He's like touching her ear at one point. And I was just like, oh, God, Artie is such a creepy divorce dad. Yeah. Um. So he goes over to Ralphie's place to get uh, the Frenchman $50,000 he needs to invest in this shitty digestif, as you call it. Never explained why you would need 50 grand to, uh, you know. It is for the marketing. Yeah. Yeah. No one has heard of this here. Yeah. We need to to secure the American rights. Yeah. it's, It's very like. For for Artie, Artie is definitely too stupid to realize he's being played because, like, why do you need $50,000? Like, oh, because I already gave them $100,000. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, it's very – like, this guy, you know, keep Artie away from any emails from a Nigerian prince because this <laughs> dude will lose his money. Um, also, it's weird to me that they don't, like, the first thing they don't do is, like, have him taste it. Yeah, <laughs> you'd right? figure. Like you're investing $50,000 into something that yeah. you don't know if it tastes like pure shit. Oh, but the moment but he, has he realizes that bottle it, that he takes it out and he like yeah. doesn't really uh, drink it. It's a the bottle moment, inside a wood thing. Of course, it's classy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the moment he realizes it's bad is one of my favorite scenes, but we'll get there. Um, but first, Ralphie decides to uh, ask, um, or Artie decides to ask Ralphie for the money. And Ralphie has one of my favorite uh, scenes in the episode in which... Um, oh my God, the opening? The opening where Ralphie just clowns Vito. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, uh, The Sopranos loves fat jokes. Oh, it's Can't so get good. Enough of them. Yeah, uh, I, I have a clip of that. Oh, Chef Osobuco. <laughs> this is a rare pleasure. Or is it medium well? <laughs> a little restaurant humor. So, you know... Uh, Again, such a Michael Imperioli line. Yes, yes. Brought along a pair of dirty chef weights. My friend here will suck out the stains for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the three stooges thing he does with his chin... He, yeah. jiggle, he jiggles his chins. He jiggles his neck meat right in front of him <laughs> while Vito just stares at him. It's... I once saw Marcella Arguello do this to a guy at a pool party. Oh, my God. And it was one of the most fucked up, humiliating things I've ever <laughs> oh, seen man. happen to someone. And I was like, like uh, I was like, like and y'all are friends. <laughs> to like, someone's neck fat? It was to their boobs, but it was the same. It was oh, a man. A man's. Uh, Damn, (laughs) Marcella really knows how to hit you where it hurts. Oh God, uh, yeah. That is that is her ability. Um, But Ralphie is clearly the worst person, but also, and probably not coincidence coincidentally, like the smartest gangster of them all. Yeah, I mean, he's like he can see like four moves away. Like, no, of course I'm not going to lend you the money because then I can't beat your ass when you don't pay me. Right, exactly. I mean, Ralphie, uh, you know, that's why he's a good earner, though. He he kind of understands, you know, he's smart enough to know that this is not a bet worth taking. He has no illusions about what being a gangster is. Exactly. I forgot exactly. what a psycho he was. It just, oh, like, he's... chilled me to my core again. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's he's a fucking psychopath. Um, And luckily, 
he's a strategic psychopath, so he knows, uh, you know, he luckily he does not give Artie the money, and instead, Tony gives him the money. But the reason Tony gives him the money is because Gloria, uh, his ex-Kumar, kills herself, and he finds out about it while in bed with Carmela in, uh, in a very sad scene in which, uh, you know, Carmela is just kind of mentioning it offhanded because, like, he she doesn't know that Tony and uh, and Gloria ever had a relationship. All she knows is one day, uh, at some point, Gloria gave her a ride, and she was checking out to see what the noise in her car was, and finds out that Gloria had killed herself. And you know, and Tony, you Tony, the yeah. lifelong gangster, has the sudden realization that he might be a predatory person, <laughs> that he might be a toxic person. Yeah, which. Uh, is just an incredible realization for someone who's been in therapy for many, many years to have just then. But um, so Tony goes over, he does a little snooping himself to see uh, what the deal is and um, goes to Globe Motors and talks to someone who I can only describe as the worst fucking co-worker on the face of God's green earth. A dude who immediately just is like, oh, Gloria is not around anymore. Actually, she died. Actually, she killed herself. Actually, yeah, she left a note, but it was selling something. It's like, why are you telling him all this? Dude? <laughs> right? Yeah, worst coworker least, ever. The worst coworker. This dude is a piece of shit. Um, and you know what it is is that that exposition needed to get out. It did. Yeah. Yes. And yes. he had to look like an asshole for it, and that is how writing works. Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's it, like it, every time you watch. Um, Law and Order SVU and mm-hmm. like two people are like talking about a case suddenly out of nowhere Ice-T will walk in and it's as if he had been listening to everything that they heard and he just like adds one more piece to the thing right you he's know like, it's oh, like everyone's yeah. discussing a murderer and he comes in he's like it's actually the guy's wife yeah right like, yeah how did it, you know what the fuck they were saying yeah i didn't know what they were talking about and it's like uh because we have to save time the show's only 42 minutes exactly long. and it's the same shit where it's so like painful when it happens because you're yeah. like it's just so obvious but well i thought they did something good with the scene though beyond just going god why is this co-worker saying everything one of the things that tony seems to be implying um by asking the these questions like he's asking the question did she leave a note did she say why did she say who did she say it was because of me did she say it was because of me and did she leave a note she like uh, no but the police got it and you see this look on his face going like if this girl fucking snitched on me like not that there would be anything to snitch about like what would she write tony was mean to me like like, but he's still, there's part of him that's like concerned about how people look at him. And he's like, you know, he doesn't want to be the person known for driving someone to suicide. Um, you know, he's got enough problems uh, to use his words. But so uh, the scene was useful, but I just like that coworker. I was like, ugh, what a slime ball. But he is also, you know, he's a car salesman. Right. The yeah. Um, Tony flips out on Melfi, um, and uh, and Melfi, of course, does not fire him as a as a patient, again for no reason because you need it. You need you need therapy scenes, and there's no there's no firing him for that shit. Um, Tony then spends the rest of the episode going through uh, 
every just blaming literally everyone but himself for blaming everyone but but himself and trying to get every single person in his life to call him a good guy which is <laughs> is just amazing uh he decides to give a suit first he decides to and sign the living suspicious. trust yeah, and everyone's like, why are you being nice? And he's like, what am I, a toxic person? And it's like, you just gave me a bunch of money for no reason. Um, first, he signs the living trust for Carmela. That's been a storyline that's been building up for the last few um, you know, uh, episodes. So he finally signs the trust. Then he decides to hook, give, <laughs> give uh, Brian, cousin Brian, uh, the hookup on some suits. Of course, those suits were stolen off the back of a truck. So, but he's Brian's the only one that falls falls for Tony's plan in this way. What do you mean? Like he's the only one who accepts the? No, he's the, the only the one that actually thinks Tony is a good guy for whatever favor he did them. Well, I well I, Carmela does too. Sure, Carmela, yeah, yeah. No, I, he does a good job of like manipulating people through his money in this episode. I'm sorry. Tickets to Billy Joel will make me do anything. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> I mean, he he knows he knows like exactly what buttons to push on certain people. He takes out uh, Janice for dinner, um, and if we're if we're doing a favorite least favorite right now, I'm going to say my favorite, and it's my favorite moment in this episode is the dinner between Janice and Tony at Vesuvio opens with janice literally sucking the marrow out of a bone <laughs> yeah and going i love marrow which is the most it's so like the perfect the nose. <laughs> it's it's yeah <laughs> it's it is so it's very on the nose for janice i mean it's the most symbolically janice thing ever to just literally be sucking the marrow out of a bone and <laughs> it's like yeah my, my other favorite janice thing that she does in that scene is like tony asks her if she ever knows has ever known anyone who committed suicide and she goes yeah i used to live in seattle and i was yeah, like wait is the person that janice knows that committed suicide kurt cobain was that like the fucking <laughs> Of course I know suicide. I lived in the city where Kurt Cobain was from. I think sui- I think there is isn't there like a abnormally high suicide rate? Yeah, because it's so rainy. It's so Everybody rainy has and shit. Seasonal affective disorder. Everyone's right. on heroin. I love there. if she counted Kurt Cobain as one of the yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like you mean besides Kurt Cobain? Um But also yeah. she just did the very like incredible thing, of course, of centering the uh suicide stuff on her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like where yeah. it was clear she didn't have a relationship with that neighbor at all yeah but she was like yeah, yeah. she's like yeah probably i'd like to think i did have something to do with his death <laughs> yeah. yeah like yeah. she wanted to know him well enough to have yeah. for him to have killed himself yeah. about her yeah there's there there's, that is such yeah. a fucking insanely toxic level of narcissism that is so real it the is, way that she yeah. plays it is just so perfect it's the perfect janice way to inject herself into uh it, into tony's grief is to be like oh well i personally have caused a little bit of a suicide myself <laughs> exactly so i'm and with he was you trying brother. to have empathy on a level like how did you deal with it? Right. Yeah. Instead of like uh, her being like, well, actually, I've killed quite, <laughs> quite a few people myself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know if you uh, if you remember old Richie April, but uh, I shot that dude in the heart. Um, yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, so Tony is trying to make amends with people in his life, and every time they question his motives, he yells, what am I, a toxic person? <laughs> um, which, yes, he is very toxic. Um, I, I feel like this is the first time I really... I mean, it's 2002. This is the first time the idea of toxic people really entered the lexicon. Right. It feels like, cause like nowadays, everything's a toxic workplace. Everything is toxic. Like there's so much to being toxic, carries so much weight now that you can be called out for just being toxic. Like, like you see like workplaces being like, it was a toxic work environment. And without going into specifics, people are like, Jesus, I'm sorry. And you're like, well, what but like what happened right and they're like toxicness and you're like okay but like like this was the beginnings of hearing about the idea of a toxic person as this kind of like almost ethereal description of somebody's mishigas without actually getting into the nuts and bolts like how are you toxic well i use people and i murder them sometimes but um yeah i uh so he's He's really struggling with the idea that he might be toxic, uh, and he decides to give Artie fifty thousand dollars in a loan with a better percentage. I love that he he's <laughs> like, "Come on, take my money. I'll give you a better percentage." He's still doing usury, yeah. but he's doing it at a discounted rate, and I appreciate it's a that. Point and a half. Come on, a I'm point not and like a half. That other guy, just a small percentage. Um, of course, things do not go the way that uh, already thought they would. And the Frenchman stops taking his calls completely. Um, and he confronts Tony to be like, hey, what should I do? And uh, and Tony tells him, you have to go over there, right? You right. Have to well, fucking- yeah, he tells him like, if, if the longer you let it go on, the more he's going to make it seem like he's doing you a favor to pay you back. I wonder if Artie is feeling like Wait, is he talking about the Frenchman or is he talking about me? Oh, well, that's the whole thing. I think that's yeah. what's so brilliant about it is it's it's he's giving him a lesson that he's teaching. It's it's yeah, really yeah. a circle. Right. So he's not sure if he's like if he's saying, yeah, I have to go over and beat up the Frenchman or, or else Tony's going to beat the shit out of me. And um, and so Tony uh, and so Artie has this amazing, amazing scene where he is practicing being tough in a mirror. Um, so and, funny. uh, and I have a clip of that. Oh, Jean-Philippe, I called you five times. Qu'est-ce que c'est? Uh, message machine broken. <laughs> nice crib. Was that, uh, Berber carpet? You fucking avoiding me, motherfucker? Where's my money? Oh, what are you gonna cry now, huh? Stand up, you frog-eating fudge of guts. I will fuck you up, man. <laughs> a few minutes later. Jean-Philippe, you're home. <laughs> Qu'est-ce que c'est, man? Uh, message machine broken? I'm sorry, I've been wishing to call you. Nice crib. You were supposed to give me my money two days ago. I know. But Credit Lyonnais, they didn't come through with a second round of financing yet. I want my money. I just told you, I don't have it. Well, when are you gonna get it? I don't know, okay? I have a daughter who needs braces. Listen to me, (laughs) I don't have it right now. You fucking French fucking lion cocksucker. My earring. I want my money. Fuck you. Fuck you again. I'd kill you. That was very much like the Big Lebowski. But my girlfriend lost her toe. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not fair. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, Artie is such a tragic and pathetic figure. And watching him, watching him fail so miserably, not only at like doing gangster shit, uh, but also at like trying to trying to fuck a, a Lodi. <laughs> like, yeah, he's got really huge like incel energy. <laughs> huge it's incel energy. So bad. It's yeah. like he's like I'm a nice guy. Yeah, I yeah. put two nice tokens in. Now I get one French twenty year old pussy out. <laughs> the rules. <laughs> And it's so fucked up and upsetting. It's like, that's not, you're not nice. You're not nice. Fucking make your wife not feel like she's your fucking. Yeah, right. Uh, I love that. The idea of him being like, if I don't get the pussy, then I'm pressing the coin return back and getting my nice back. And by that, I mean being a cunt to everyone. And she's just playing him so well. The thing where she's like, oh, I'm getting so fat because of your gnocchis. And then she shows him her. she's giving me a belly. Yeah, shows him her belly. (laughs) I'm getting a belly. And and then, and he's just like openly horny on Maine for her. He's just looking at her like, "Mm." and she's like, (laughs) and just fucking playing him so good like a fucking fiddle i have a cd for you (laughs) i love she's like i have a compact disc it is bad music that i got for free um (laughs) but yeah it is uh it is just wild just watching him just kind of get totally fucking played and uh oh man on the street he gave me the CD. I saved the CD for you, Artie. <laughs> for those you. Artie, hold on. I will go fuck my brother on a pile of your money. I just love, no one can see right now, but you on the Zoom, she has added a filter where she has a French beret on, and it is, it's really adding a lot to the character. <laughs> You're the only one who's ever come on this podcast and done some serious visual character work, and I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Everybody. That's extra points for sure. Extra points. Oh, um, I'm graduating. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we get to... Oh, Bugatti. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Oh. We get to... Uh, Already committing suicide or attempting to commit suicide. He calls up Tony and Tony finally in this episode gets a chance to undo what he thinks is the previous suicide he caused uh, in Gloria by uh, calling the cops and saving Artie and having a stomach pumped. And uh, and they have this scene in the hospital that I think is great in which like Tony, you know, explains to him, you know, that he shouldn't commit suicide and that suicide is bad and basically (laughs) decides to forgive his debt. And Artie uses the opportunity to tell Tony that um, he planned this all along in one of the, I can only imagine is, is like, this is like a David after dentist type high that he's in where he's just saying all of the things that he should be keeping on the inside. I mean, what what could compel him to be like, oh, I get it. You're you planned all of this so that you could eat for free. It's <laughs> it's uh, real uh, sickening. Real uh, it's and of course Tony freaks out and he says my favorite line, which I'm not sure it was written or just a take that they kept. But he goes, 
you fucking suicide. He calls <laughs> yeah. him a fucking suicide, which is a strange thing to call somebody. But and also, um, he like literally takes it back and is like, "You should have fucking killed yourself." And I'm like, "Well, that's a nice thing to do." Literally, right after someone does that. And and you know, I think what's interesting about it is the thing that. I think makes him the most angry about it um, is the fact not that he, you know, didn't play because he knows he did. He knows he's right. He knows that like fucking he was in in his deep subconscious. He knew that Artie was going to fuck this up and he would be able to eat for free. I think he's absolutely right about that. But he's more mad about the fact that like had he killed himself then people would think that he's bad, that Tony is bad, you know? He's more interested and concerned about his image as someone who drives people to suicide than he is about his image as, like, someone who murders people and is, you know, someone who does usury. So, um, And uh, it's also kind of fun to see Tony treat Artie the way Artie treats Elodie. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Where he was like... (laughs) I just fucking made you nice. I did nice to you. You don't fucking tell me I'm nice now. You fucking owe me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love I love the the tables turning on uh, on Artie. I also feel terrible for him, and I hope at some point that he gets to fuck again because that uh, no dude is ever needed to fuck more more so than AJ. Yeah, all the Artie cum is needs, like rotting his brain. All the cum is building inside of him, making him make stupid decisions. No one needs to fuck more than his wife. I know. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. That's uh, got to be the trashest dick of all time. Oh. <laughs> There's Absolutely. no way. There's no way. That dude. Like, that woman has stopped trying to get dick because of how trash it is. Yeah, yeah. She's like, like, I literally uh, would rather die with a fucking dap (laughs) than attempt to make this sexual connection with you on any level. Yeah, yeah. That dry-ass pussy forever rather than ever letting Artie Buko back in. That is is a fact. You're spitting facts. But... um, but yeah, and uh, so he doesn't commit suicide. Um, Tony goes to see fucking, you know, goes to see Billy Joel. And uh, Carmela successfully hooks up uh, Furio um, with uh, some girl he knows that we've never heard of. And uh, apparently she's going to give him free dental shit. Um, and yeah, and that is that is the episode. Um do you, Vince, have a favorite or at least favorite scene? I have both. Um, favorite was definitely like AJ trying to hide his boner. Mm. Um, and then least favorite was the music that was playing while uh, Christopher gets high on heroin for the second time. And I don't know if you remember that song, but I have yeah. a little bit of that. Oh. You can Mississippi Mo Rock and Roll Kentucky Fry Flow What you do that for? Oh Domino Why you won't go? It sounds like it's, what Christopher oh. thinks rap is. <laughs> yes. It, it is that not also by the Alabama three? Yeah, because I was gonna it, say, doesn't it sound like the people who are doing the The song intro song? It's the it's show? by apparently by a German DJ named Armand von Helden. Uh, oh god yeah oh, it just sounds some... like he's doing that voice though it does yeah 
it it sounds like he wrote the song for the Sopranos, hoping that the Alabama Three would hear it and <laughs> invite him and make him the fourth in the Alabama Four. It's your cousin Marvin Alabama Three. <laughs> you know that new sound you were looking for. <laughs> It is, oh, it is god awful, and it's once again just a testament to uh, to David Chase's uh, very hit or miss musical choices uh, in um, in The Sopranos, and that to me is like just imagining that on heroin Oof. is uh, is bumming me out. Yeah, um, imagining bad. it not on heroin is bumming me. Out. I mean, yeah, bad vibes, bad vibes all around. Uh, Sophia, do you have a uh, favorite or least favorite? I mean. I do like the D'Angelo song. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm still just mad that Devin Pillsbury was not a Pillsbury heiress. So that's my <laughs> least favorite Your least favorite. Was, it just what, seemed like putting yeah. a hat on a hat. Like, oh, yeah. Pillsbury, the financial man. Like, if you <laughs> yeah. introduce, like, three Pep brothers in the show, yeah, don't right. suddenly invent another story. Yes, they're the Pep boys, yeah, but right. not from the automotive parts company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Why yeah. are you doing that? They're the litigation Pep boys. They're yeah, very exactly. big in the litigation community. And um, then yeah. um, favorite moment was... Probably that even um, even though I really like that dream sequence with the mm-hmm. scarf and the chandelier, the part that absolutely cracks me up every time is when she's like, Tony, do you want to see this? Yeah, <laughs> Do right, you want to yeah. see this? And I just <laughs> yeah. know that whoever wrote it was like, yeah, because both get it. It's a fucking wound. Get it? Yeah, 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 80s yeah. are axe wounds. You fucking get it? <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, that part always makes me, makes me laugh. It's off. interesting because I took something different from that, which was that um, Tony just wanting to see a vagina is a strange thing. Like, I just, there's this thing where, like, just being like, do you want to see it? And it's like, well, yeah. I want to see it incidentally as part of a whole thing in which I'm, my mouth's on it and stuff. Like the idea of seeing it. And then she was like, or do you want to see this? And I was like, oh, we're doing a thing. Okay. We're doing a thing. I like it. Um, my Yeah. Like I said, I think my favorite is probably Janice sucking Meryl or already trying Armagnac for the first time when he's trying to kill himself and realizing it tastes like shit and crying. Um, like just if only he had tried it first he wouldn't he would have avoided the whole thing um least favorite thing furio showing up at the frenchman's door uh only because like inside me there's a dumb guy who just needs to see the revenge you know there's like yeah i understand why didn't we see the frenchman get the shit beat out of him because they're like no we imply it obviously furio shows up you know some shit's going down it's like yeah but i kind of want to see it like i fucking hate that french at this stage of the show people had already started telling david chase what like the parts that they demanded to see and like and yes, David and Chase was, gets off yes. on being like, fuck you. It's my show. I'll show you what I want. Piggies. He really does. That's exactly right. It's like at this point, he has read all of the New York Post takes about previous episodes in which, how come they're not doing more violence? And he's just like, this season, I'm going to have no violence. Fuck you all. Yeah. And <laughs> there's going to be no ending and no more tits ever again. Uh, 
Yeah, so that's my least favorite. I think um, in this episode, the real gangster is neither Artie nor AJ. Um, and uh, finally, yeah, all in all, I would have to say this episode, I would give it a solid B+. Vince, what would you give this oh, episode? Oh, you raise an interesting question. You know, a lot of things happened. There was a lot of character development, some very good arcs and some story i mean yeah i gotta go tough tough decision but i gotta go solid b plus as well oh all right it's surprising answer uh let's see sophia um if you had to rate this episode with like a letter grade (laughs) what would you give this episode i'm heavily leaning towards giving it a b plus Mm, okay brave well, that's, i just did yeah. it i just did it all right fair enough fair enough uh b plus of an episode and i would say solid b plus of an episode of this show pod yourself a gun uh sophia alexandra thank you so much for coming on the pod thank you so much for having me this was so much fun yay and i'm glad you had fun where can people find you on the internet uh, you can find me at the Sophia S O F I Y A on Twitter and Instagram, and you should buy my album Father's Day. Buy Father's Day now in stores or on online, right? Online. Buy it online. Don't go to stores. <laughs> COVID still. Go to a store. I don't know. It seems like <laughs> where, where are we going? <laughs> Tower Records is that still? Yeah, a thing? exactly. Fuck yeah. It's still around. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and thank you everyone, uh, out there for listening. Um, before we go, we have a bunch of new patrons who just sign up for the pod yourself, a shout out tier. Oh, and geez. That means that Vince, you're going to have to give out some names. All right. Are who you do we ready? got? Okay. First, we're starting with Allison Booten. Oh, Allison Booten, the boot. Uh, oh, yeah, Ali to boot. That's good. I like that. <laughs> last name is Booten, like the Booten Projects. Yeah. Uh, hey, you Booten? Hey, you Booten over here. Um, all no, right. Vladimir Booten? <laughs> yeah, hey, we call you. That's, Bla- that's too clever for a mafia nickname. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Vince Vince makes him the least clever possible. Uh, all right. Next is Matthew Rowles. Oh, Rowles. We call him the virus because he's. Ooh. Yeah, because he's always. <laughs> contagious okay because he's very good very good mm-hmm. uh next is patrick williams oh patty will uh yeah we call him patty will because his name is patrick williams we're not very creative <laughs> in the mafia that's that's fair enough uh next is scott rivet oh hey we call him rosie scotty the riveter we call him rosie because he likes to put the steel on the that actually is that is i think unintentionally very good um the next is will thompson oh yeah will thompson uh yeah we call him uh you know we call him uh asian will asian will all right asian will next is uh melissa cat uh cat us um i don't know how to pronounce this Melissa Cat Tusk. Melissa Alyssa Cat. We call her Big Pussy. All right, that's good. Yeah. Big Pussy's fair. All right, now Travis. Every Kierigan. woman's dream nickname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works less with. It works less with a woman, but I think it also, in a way, works more with a woman. Um, 
So, sorry about that, Melissa. Melissa Big Pussy Cat Sukak. That's a yeah. that is a hard name to say. And uh, finally, Travis Kiergan. Oh, Travis Kiergan. Yeah, we call him. Uh, we call him. We call him Travis the Neck. Cause he's got he lives down neck. He's got you know. All right, that, you yeah, yeah. You got there. You got there. Yeah, All uh-huh. right. Those are your shout outs for the week. Once again, that's patreon.com slash fraughtcast. Uh, join now for bonus episodes of our other podcasts in which we talk about things other than The Sopranos. Fraughtcast at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, and, con- and concerns. Vince, what is the uh, Google Voice number? 415-275-0030. All right, everyone. Thanks again so much for listening. And until next time, don't stop believing. Don't stop. That was so fun. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.